Hello, welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and I am thrilled today to be speaking again to Randy Ulmer. Randy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's our pleasure for sure. I, I know um, you know, y- your your bow hunting career is one that I personally have watched with just absolute enthusiasm over the last 20 years and I know there's a lot of other listeners that love to get updates from you. So this is a bit of an update call, update from Randy. You know, we finished 2021, and it, it looked to me like you had some good success. You texted me a couple of really nice pictures, and I think uh, they may have appeared on your social media accounts as well. So how are you doing, Randy? You know, I'm doing really well, really well. Well, That's you've great. got a little congratulations coming, too. Uh, you pulled out... Uh, you pulled out a, a, a winner at on the eleventh hour. That was a great buck. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I, you know, uh, ten, ten pointer, right? Yeah, yeah. Eleven with a little cheater. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, it was a it was a rough year for me, Randy. I didn't shoot anything all year. Oh, I shot a brown bear in the spring, but I mean all fall, and uh, and which it was great because I had great hunts or whatever. But I just didn't find what I wanted, and that that's how it goes. Well, sometimes. you're more selective than I think anyone else I know. So uh, if you're going to pass up the kind of animals that you pass up, you're going to have to be contented with coming home empty most of the time. I mean, I remember stories about you going up. Well, I think it was a, a, was it a sheep hunt where you were up there for like 30, or was it a bear hunt? I can't remember. I just remember you hunting and hunting and hunting and hunting and seeing all sorts (laughs) of trophies and then never killing. And then, and then you ended up killing that giant sheep. Yeah. I I mean, I, I've had a couple hunts like that. I've actually, I have 66 days doll sheep hunting so far and I've seen 23 legal rams and I haven't made a stock yet. So there you go. One of these days, one of these days, the big one's going to show up. But, uh, so you killed a sheep this last year. Yes, I did. I was yeah. very fortunate. I, I, uh, and this will make some of the listeners, uh, will make them upset because I actually drew a desert sheep tag in Nevada. Beautiful. In, uh, I think 1999. And, oh, uh, so this is your second. Well, <laughs> well, it, it's worse than that because I, uh, I well, I've I've been playing the uh, the 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 application game for a long, long time. I've been putting in for every Western state as since uh, well since the uh, early '80s. So I've accumulated a lot of preference points, a lot of bonus points, and uh, so I had drawn an Arizona desert bighorn sheep in 1991 and got a, mm-hmm. a sheep with my bow. Then in 1999, I drew a, a Nevada desert bighorn sheep tag, which is extremely rare for someone to have drawn two desert sheep tags. Absolutely. So fast forward, um, and then I got a sheep on that Nevada tag. But fast forward 21 years, and I drew a Nevada, California bighorn sheep tag. Okay. Because so, it's uh, once in a lifetime, right? Yeah, these are yeah once in a while. So time. you drew the desert and then the California. Yes. So, <laughs> so um, I've drawn a lot. Well, I've drawn a Montana sheep tag. Yeah. A well, I've drawn a lot of sheep tags in the in the West. Uh, let's just leave it at that. 
So anyway, I, yeah, I went up and uh, my son Levi um, uh, it was taking a, a, a gap year. He's in college, so he came along with me to help. So it, it, it was a great hunt. There were actually quite a few sheep, um, and I wasn't feeling really well. Um, I didn't make it up there till the last two weeks of the season, and um, ended up killing a really, really nice ram. Yeah, uh, kind of was pulled it out at the end, which uh, which is always nice. So you went with two weeks left. Did you have to? use the whole two weeks? Well, no, I, I actually went, um, I went for a short time and then, uh, I had a medical procedure I had to have done back here in Arizona and I had to leave suddenly. And then we went back and, uh, on the third or fourth day, I, I, we were spotting the sheep, but they were in kind of rough, big, big open country. And we actually glassed up some sheep going to, uh, a, a drinker, a, a, a game and fish water source. And uh, so I decided to set up a blind there. And while Levi was scoping out other sheep, um, uh, I sat in the blind. I, I, I built a blind there and, and right. sat in the blind and uh, ended up having, I think on the second or third day, having a, a couple of really nice rams come in. Oh, so, nice. Um, yeah, nice. Well, that, that was really nice. The embarrassing thing, well... We actually need to step back a lot further, and I, I want to get into this story because I had some serious issues with my eyes. I, I had to have cataract surgery uh, in the spring, in the late spring, oh. and uh, and we're going to go back to my deer hunt <laughs> and my elk hunt, come back to the sheep hunt, but even on the sheep hunt, I was having some pretty serious issues, and uh I hate to say this. I hate to admit this because it, it goes against uh, what most people would believe about me with my target archery history. But uh, <clears throat> I missed a deer and I missed an elk all well within my range. I mean, wow. completely missed before I yeah. figured out what was going on. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we're going to have, I tell you, let's go all the way. Well, we should go all the way back to my deer hunt, but but just for my sheep hunt, I actually missed the sheep the first time. I I, I missed him because I I uh, around this drinker there was some fencing. Um, you know they have to jump over or come, yeah. go through the fencing, and and uh, <laughs> I didn't pay attention to the trajectory of my arrow. Oh, <laughs> and uh, my first shot, I hit. I hit the fence. Yeah. Well, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that'll do it. And, uh, and spooked the Rams, uh, but they only went maybe 20 yards oh. and, and they went laterally. So they were still well within range. So I, uh, I, uh, I, I paid attention that time and <laughs> you zipped him on the second one, huh? Yeah. got him on the second one. Yeah. But yeah, the, uh, I had some interest, an interesting phenomenon happen on my, on my deer and elk hunt. Uh, yeah, I'm really interested about this. Blew me away. Yeah. So, did, did, and and what I'm interested about is that you were out shooting, obviously on the range to get ready for the hunts, and then exactly. this happened during the hunt, and and you said it took you a while to figure it out. So how? Tell me about yeah. that. Well, my deer hunt. 
my deer hunt was kind of a um, kind of sad in one way. I'll, I'll go all the way to the beginning of my deer hunt. I had been following uh, one buck for three for three seasons. Uh, yeah. Just a phenomenal buck, phenomenal so, a buck. So, Randy, to remind you, last podcast we did with Hoyt, we talked about that buck in great detail. So yes. our listeners who have heard the other podcasts are very familiar with this deer. Okay, I didn't remember that I talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Buck. Just a giant buck, and he had uh, – I had chased him the whole – I spent – He jumped the string on you in 2020. It, yeah, very we talked, good. We talked about that for about yes. half an hour on the last podcast. Yes. Yeah, and, and yeah. it just kind of broke my heart, that whole thing, and I spent the whole time there. And, and I had a lot of interference from other hunters, um, and, and so – Fast forward to 2021, and I, I found this buck again, and I was so excited. So um, my nephew, Zach, and, and my son, Levi, were with me. We backpacked into the area, and I had found the buck previously. So we knew he was in the same basin he was in the year before. Oh, nice. And I expected some other hunters to be in there. Uh, but I was, I, I got a big surprise because um, opening day was very rainy and foggy. And it was kind of like sheep hunting in Alaska where the clouds, you know, we're at 12,000 feet yeah. to 13,000 feet. And the clouds just, you're kind of up in the clouds and the clouds blow through. You can see a little bit and then it'll rain and snow on you. And then, and then the clouds blow through and then you can kind of see as the clouds go through you can kind of see an opening and you follow it with your binoculars and glassing just that way. And, and so I, uh, we had all backpacked up in there and I had gone into where the buck was the previous day. So I was within striking distance. Well, um, very, very long story, very, very short. Um, I was able to see the deer and uh, Zach and Levi were able to see the deer. So I, I, I made an approach and um, up above me, I see a group of hunters up, up on the skyline. And uh, Zach and Levi could see them as well. And one of them was dressed in fluorescent orange. Hmm. And I was like, well, that's very, very strange. So we glass up there and, and, and they could see me, but they could not see the deer because of their position. And they knew that I was stalking the deer. And the hunter himself had his gun on the backpack, aiming not at me, but in my direction, waiting for the deer to jump up. So they're well, almost using you like a bird dog. Like yes. Well, they knew that they, I knew they, because, because I was obviously stalking. Yeah. They knew that I knew where the buck was. Wow. Well, and this was the, this was the, uh, the governor's hunter, the auction. Hunter. Right. Right. So he so can start opening day of archery season. He can hunt opening day of archery season. Yeah. So oh. it was, it was like a, a big bummer. So I, uh, when I took my shoes off, uh, when, when I took my shoes off, they knew I was getting very close and I'm speculating what they, I'm speculating what they knew and what they didn't know and what they did. So this is all speculation, 
But this is what, you know, I later confirmed with Zach and, and Levi because they were watching the whole scenario. Yeah. But what they told me is um, when I took my shoes off, the hunters or not the hunter, but the guys, he was he had a big, a big contingency like uh, auction hunters often sure. do. Yeah. And uh, when I took my shoes off to make the final approach, um, the guy, their guy started running up and down on the skyline, waving their arms and the clouds moved back through. And I was within a hundred yards. And the, the buck jumped up and ran around the mountain and they had spotters over there. And so at, when the buck ran around the mountain, we could see the spotter, or they, Zach and Levi could see the spotter calling the hunter on the radio. The hunter is jumped Is that legal up. in Colorado? Oh, yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's Radios legal. are legal? Okay. Yeah. And so the hunter uh, and all his contingency ran over to where the spotter was about a mile away um, around the mountain where the deer had ran, and they shot the deer. That's terrible. So, that, so I the ethics years. of that, Randy, like I didn't know that I knew – generally the story but that's ridiculous that well, literally they you interrupted know, your stock they purposely interrupted your stock that that is well, here's the deal and i i actually like the governor's tag system because it pours so much i mean they probably i don't know but in arizona of course, there's no problem with that but the ethics of what they did i no, mean it's no, one thing to I have know, a governor's tag and it's another thing how do you go about how do well, you go about using deal, it but, the mentality of the people now, I, I and I'm not. This is kind of a blanket statement, but s- the mentality of some of the governors, hunters, and especially the outfitters that, that that's um, the problem. It's the outfitter. Yeah, they they tend to think that that you know it is a special tag. They have special rights, and um, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but a lot of times especially in there in a big group. And there's just this one little archery guy down there chasing this deer that, you know, that, that, that is their deer, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 uh, it gets very difficult, but long story short is, is uh, I got because of interference. Well, they got him and I didn't, I guess that's the yeah. bottom line, but I had the disappointment from the year before and then the disappointment this year. So a giant buck escaped me two years in a row, which is, this happened <laughs> before. So sure. I, I, sure. I, I, you kind of get used to it. The, the sad thing is, is two years before I had found a, a giant buck in Arizona, uh, like a two fifty buck. Whoa. Yeah. A giant. I'll send you a video of him. Yeah. And I had a very similar thing happen on that buck. The auction hunter showed up opening morning with his gun. And uh, anyway. Jeez, Randy. Well, well, you got to quit finding the biggest buck in the state and you won't have that problem. Well, yeah, but (laughs) that's kind of what you and I both like to do. Um, So that kind of comes with the territory, but you know, they pour so much money, like in Arizona, the auction tag typically costs, costs them, you know, say 250 to 300,000. I saw it go for 495 once. Yeah. So yep. there you go. And to yep. pour that much money, you know how many waters that'll produce and how much, yeah. 
habitat improvement. And so I agree with the auction tag system. I mean, hell, you and I both have bought landowner tags and it's sure. kind of a similar thing because, you know, it's a guy with whatever landowner tag cost you a couple thousand bucks, but it's still, you know, it's, 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 is that really fair for everyone? Say someone that couldn't afford a landowner tag. So <clears throat> I think I'd be disingenuous if I said that, you know, the governor tag shouldn't have extra rights when buying a landowner tag gets you a tag before you would normally get it in the draw. So yeah, you know, I'm kind of it's kind of the pot calling the kettle black. Well, uh, I, I don't you're gonna I, take your you're going to have to take your licks when they come. Yeah, because someone could say the same thing about like, say, you or I, because I'm sure you bought landowner tags. I'm guessing you have. Yeah. So, you know, if, if a, a regular tag holder could say, well, geez, you know, I finally got this tag. I drew it. I did it the right way. And Randy Ulmer bought a landowner tag like that's how I could hunt this deer two years in a row is because I bought a landowner tag. Now, is that fair? Uh, you know, it's probably not fair, but it's the law and, and the same thing with the governor's tags. They're, I have no problem with the tag existing. The problem I have is that they spooked your deer while you were stalking it. Yeah. And that, that is the issue. That's the issue. No, that's wrong. That's completely unethical in my mind to, you know, intentionally disrupt somebody's stock. That's well, well, the thing is, 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 is how are you going to prove that? Well, I mean, yeah, we don't need to prove it. We just need to like say it's ridiculous. Like socially, they should be ashamed of themselves. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a bummer, but you did get another shot. It sounds like I did. I did. (laughs) I, I turned around. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, I let, I had found, I found another really good buck, like a 200 inch typical. Oof. And, uh, typically what I do in Colorado is, um, my, my nephew, Zach and I have hunted in Colorado together forever. And, and so I do all the scouting. So the, the, the deal is most of the time, what I'll do is I'll, I get to pick the, the, the buck I want to hunt and we'll hunt it. Well, I get to, I pick the buck I get to hunt and then Zach gets the second buck. Right. And depending on which one's going to get the most pressure, we'll usually hunt that one first. So sometimes quite often Zach gets to hunt first. And occasionally if I'm feeling very generous, I'll uh, let him chase the bigger buck, Uh, (laughs) you know, and, and, uh, and then I always feel bad after he shoots it and, and, uh, and I shoot it a little bit. <laughs> so, but anyway, so what we did is we went and, and uh, Zach went and shot the second biggest buck that, that we had found. And uh, he killed a really nice, a 200 inch typical. Wow. Uh, nice. I think it was 204 or something. Really big, wow. really big typical. Yeah. Um, so then after that, uh, Zach's kids were sick. He had to leave. And so I backpacked into this, uh, in where I knew this other buck was in some just hellaciously nasty country. And a, a friend of mine, uh, named Payson Winry came in to help me, uh, um, cause it's a long pack in and he's young yeah. and, yep. uh, and, and, and good help. And anyway, so we packed all the way back up in there and spent many days waiting for this buck to get out of the cliffs. Uh, cause he was in like cliffs, cliffs right? and finally got into a position where I could actually get into him, but it was still up in the cliffs. 
anyway, long story short, to 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 talk about what had happened, I had had cataract surgery, and uh, it didn't go well. They placed the wrong lens in my right eye. Well, they actually placed the wrong lens in both eyes, which it wasn't really their fault. They tell you ahead of time. We're kind of guessing at what lens oh. to put in. So I was in the throes of trying to get that corrected. So I couldn't see very well out of my right eye. My right eye was like 2080 or something like that. Really bad okay. vision. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, when I was shooting at the target range, I was doing fine. But uh, I didn't even realize when you draw, okay, so I snuck up on this buck and, and my range is I, I won't shoot at a deer till I'm within 60 yards. Yep. And when I get within 60 yards, I'm very, very comfortable if it, if there's no wind and they're broadside and everything's good. And so I got within about 55 yards of this deer. Actually, it was, I was closer than that anyway, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, I drew back my bow and what typically happens now, the light was a little low, but what typically happens is whether you're a firearm shooter or you're a bow hunter, when you throw up your gun with a scope on it, you throw it up right on the animal, the animal's in your scope. Now, when I draw my bow on an animal or a target, my bow is on that target. I've done it, you know, a hundred thousand times that I've shot. Well, when I drew back on this deer, he wasn't in my he wasn't in my sights. So I had to move my bow considerably to the left to get him in the peep. And I thought, that is really, I didn't even think about it at the time, yeah. but I drew back and I wasn't on him. So I had to move over to the left and I shot and I saw my arrow hit in the rocks 20 feet to his left. Oh my goodness. And I thought, oh my gosh, my either my arrow was bent, but I was shooting... I was shooting uh, carbon aluminum arrows. And so I, the, the arrow couldn't have been bent. I thought, well, maybe it wasn't on my arrow rest. Maybe yeah, it had fallen right. my arrow. You got all these things. Or, yeah. or maybe I just yanked it. Um, and I thought, what the heck? Well, anyway, he ran off. And that was the end of that because I had to get back again for another medical procedure. I had to leave that night. So we packed out that night. Yeah. All the way back to the truck, got to the truck at like two o'clock in the morning and I had to drive to Arizona. Well, it, it just bugged me. It bugged me. It bugged me. It bugged me. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I'm just getting old, losing it because I don't, I've never had the problem of jerking the trigger. Oh, I mean, um, 20 feet. I mean, you might. Lynches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might jerk a foot. And so this troubled me. And, and I just really, what I did is I, I, I kind of set it off as, you know, uh, just one of those things, you know, yeah. you do, I don't know what happened. I, right. I, there was no, I was, it was cliff. So there's no, it was above timberline. There was no branches. I couldn't blame it on anything like that. And yeah. I just thought, well, it's something, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to worry about it. Well, and I, I went back and shot my bow. It was dead on. Everything was perfect. Cause I'd been dragging my bow through the cliffs for a week. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, but no, it was dead on. I had no excuses. Okay. So I didn't get a deer. So fast, cause I had to leave. I couldn't come back because of some medical stuff. So fast forward to elk season, I wasn't able, because again, for medical reasons, like I couldn't get elk hunting until the last week of the season. I had an Arizona tag 
And long story short, uh, Levi and I, my son Levi and I climbed this giant mountain and found a giant elk. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, long story short, went, uh, took about four or five days to actually get in a position to where I could shoot at this elk. And I got in position and the elk was 40 yards away. And I drew back and a 40 yard shot at an elk broadside. He didn't know I was there broadside. And I shot and I was just like, he's dead. He's just dead. He's got an 18 inch kill zone at 40 yards. Yeah. But again, when I drew back, uh, I was aiming to the right of him. Oh man. And it was a stormy, real stormy monsoony day. Wind was blowing really hard. It was raining. And I heard, I didn't see, but I heard my arrow rattle in a juniper, a dead juniper tree. And the only dead juniper tree was about 20 feet to the left of this block. And of course he ran off and I was just beside myself. I'm like, what the heck? So the rain really started coming down then. And I went in, um, the bull didn't know what happened. Nobody knew what happened because it was real windy and rainy and he spooked, but he, he spooked and he ran about 20 yards or trotted about 20 yards. And then he started walking away with the cows into this big thicket of juniper trees. So I sat down under a tree and it was raining like cats and dogs. And I thought, what the heck? So I started thinking and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. Oh my gosh. I, my left eye, which was my good eye at that point, even though it was only 2030, mm-hmm. my right eye was 2080. My left eye was taking over. Yep. And all, and, and so what I did is I drew my bow back and then shut my, opened my right eye, aimed at something and then, and then looked with my left eye. And yep. in order to do, I had to move my bow about 20 feet to the left. Unreal. And so what I did is I had my walking sticks with me. No, no, I didn't have them with me because I'd left them a couple hundred yards away. But I, I, I had, I always use moleskin on my bow, you know, at different places where it might yeah. have a rock. So I took some of that moleskin and I put it over the left side of my bill of my ball cap to where when I was at full draw, mm-hmm. I couldn't see out of my left eye. I couldn't yeah. see the target out of my left eye. Right. Yeah. I've seen guys do that like with a playing card or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I did it when I competed. Yep. And so I put that over my hat and uh, then the bull was still in that thicket 200 yards away. Unreal. So this is on the spot. That evening, (laughs) that evening when he came out and granted, I was 90% sure that that is what was happening because I missed a deer so far. Yeah. And I missed the elk so far and they were both to the left. And I figured out that that's actually where I would miss if my left eye took over. And so the bull got up and he, he, he did just a tiny little bugle that evening. And so I was sneaking in there and I heard him uh, and saw him rubbing a tree. So I snuck up and there were cows on either side. But again, it was still kind of windy and rainy. And so I could move in the juniper trees with a little bit of motion and no one noticed. 
Well, anyway, while he was rubbing that tree, I got, I got, I said, I'm going to get as close as I can. I'm tired of missing. <laughs> so I got uh, 10 yards and, oh my uh, gosh. Him. and, uh, <laughs> and anyway, um, that's a great story, man. Seriously. So anyway, I killed him. And that was my, that was actually <laughs> the, the 10th net Boone and Crockett bull I ever killed. Oh, he my was the 10th one. Um, so that was kind of cool. That's um, incredible. That's got to be, geez, that, that's got to be a record. 10, oh, Booner, I, 10 I Boone and Crockett elk with a bow. You look at Chuck Adams and, and, and uh, he shot a lot of big elk. There's other guys. I, I don't know. 375 net Boone and Crockett. I don't think he has 10. Yeah, yeah that's we, incredible. We, we, we right? have to find out. But anyway, yeah. that was kind of a, a milestone for me. Now I can quit hunting elk. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, it was a very interesting thing. So when I went sheep hunting, all the way back to the sheep hunting story, when I went sheep hunting, um, I still hadn't had my eyes fixed yet. And because sheep hunting was in October, and obviously the deer hunt and elk hunt were in September. So when I went sheep hunting, I just, uh, I took a pair of eyeglasses Mm. and um, (laughs) I knocked the lenses out. And then, but over over the one part, over the, the left eye, I had a little black area so that when I aimed with, you know, when I aimed, I yeah. couldn't see out of my left eye. And mm-hmm. so, but I still shot the fence. So literally, well, that's different. Literally I missed all three animals <laughs> that I shot at this year. I missed all three of them. And, but and two of them, but two of them, you managed to get a second shot. That's incredible. Yeah. Yes. But uh, yeah, it's not a good, it, it, it doesn't bode well for my future. Although my eyes are good now. I, I've got like 2015 in my eyes. Now they fixed. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I can see really well now. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. You know, since we're talking about eyes, let me ask you a quick question. Um, recently my wife got eye surgery, like LASIK eye surgery. And the doctor explained that they can either make you really good at seeing up close or really good at seeing far away and you have to choose. And what he usually likes to do is blend it so that one eye is nearsighted and one eye is farsighted. So you have like 20-20 up close with one eye and 20-20, you know, afar with the other eye. Um, And I thought to myself, well, if I was getting this done, I would just deal with the magnifiers up close and just get it perfect, both of them perfect, that's far away. You're that's because you're a hunter. And, and yeah. I don't want to disparage your wife because you should never put a, a woman into an age bracket. Yeah. But, uh, what, from what you've told me, uh, she has a, 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 she has what all of us over 40, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. are, are, it's called presbyopia. So she, uh, she is obviously over 40 yeah. or she would, they wouldn't have given her that option. Young people can get the P- PRK. She probably got PRK as opposed to LASIK, but I'm um, not sure. Cause yeah. that's, that's the newer thing. Okay. But, um, but yes, they can do that. And the vast majority of people other than us crazy hunters will say, yes, give me one close one far. That way I never have to wear readers, but us hunters go, no, I want binocular vision at distance. Right. And otherwise, your sense of your your ability to judge yardage, if you have one eye that's uh, that's oh, made close and yeah. one eye that's made before, your ability, not that we have to judge yardage very far, very often, but we do. And it we also do. impedes your depth perception uh, to uh, a degree. So for hunters, yeah, I say just use readers when you're when you're when you need them. 
Yeah, when you're and serving your bowstring, get out the readers. I did the same thing. I did, yeah. uh, I did both eyes for far distance. The, you know what? I guarantee you there are people listening to this podcast right now that are really glad you said that. Well, there's probably others that are like, dang it, I messed up. But I'm glad that, that that's very valuable because I'll probably get this done in the next few years. And it'll, that's what I'll do. That's what I was thinking should, you should do. But that makes well, sense. Yeah, and, and, you know, I guess it's, it depends on how as much as we hunt and as much as we're in the outdoors. Like, I know you, you're like you're a competitive surfer and you do all these other things. Like, you do Taekwondo or some, jiu-jitsu. something like that. Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I, I should know the difference. No, that's, no, but, no but, big deal. But yeah. you're like a national champion jiu-jitsu guy. Well, I would definitely have both eyes because you have to have an incredible depth perception. Yeah. And if one of your eyes was for close and one far, man, I, I don't think you could have the same abilities visually. Yeah. And that's got to be a very, very important. So, yeah, definitely I would have both yeah. eyes. That's, that's a good tip. Well, let me, let me ask you a change in subject a little bit here. I'm, I'm curious, what bow did you elect to hunt with um, in 2021? Well, I hunted with the Hoyt Venom. Uh, oh, you did? So did I. So did I. The longer one. Um, I, I, I just, uh, that bow, I had several. And, and that bow just, that particular bow, you know, every bow has a personality, as you and yeah. I know. You can have five bows, and I don't care what brand it is, even the very best like Hoyt. And each bow will have just a little bit different personality. And some bows just match you and 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 shoot better for you and of the bows i shot this year that ventum uh just i mean it just shot really really well and and one thing that i loved about it well actually uh the the new cam system um the, the hbx one, yeah. yes yes um the the one thing i just absolutely loved about that cam system is it allowed me to to do my creep tuning and it creep tune perfectly which uh which it is it, different it, it made creep tuning really 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 easy and so randy uh, would you mind explaining my, creep the tuning? carbon and the ventum and i i appreciate that that you're saying this but that this new cam system is easier to creep tune explain could you explain what that is i i kind of know what it is i've never actually done it um and and tell me why i should do it and tell me what it is well well it's for us it's for us mere mortals, Alan. I don't know if you need to do it. It's for us <laughs> mere mortals that that may not always end up in the same part of the uh, of the uh, uh, the valley. valley. Yeah, you know, you, sh- you should pull against the wall. But w- what you'll notice uh, for people that haven't done it, and I'm sure that a bunch of other people back when I was shooting serious competition, um, I thought I had invented creep tuning or not invented it, but yeah, I thought I'd invented. I was egotistical <laughs> enough to, cause I didn't know of anybody else that knew about it, but what happens and, and it's not so bad nowadays. Uh, the one cam system, even though it was supposed to be better anyway, so it, let me just back up. Let's explain what creep tuning is. Um, if you take almost any boat, even, even, the most modern bows, even current bows. And, and let's say that you have 
the wheels timed perfectly, synchronized. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pull the bow hard against the stops, I mean, pretty hard against the stops, yep. and you shoot, then you shoot the same bow, same arrow, same everything, same sight, aiming at the same spot, and you creep, just say a quarter of an inch. So you're not quite as hard into the stops. The vast majority of bows are going to hit high. They will actually hit high. Interesting. Um, Now, some will hit low, but the vast majority of them will hit high. So what you do, what creep tuning is, is adjusting the timing or the synchronization of the wheels ever so slightly, ever so slightly, so that when you creep, and I exaggerate it when I do it, I exaggerate it. I will creep, say, as much as, you know, the bows now have such a short valley, it's hard to creep very far. But even if you're hard against the walls versus just really easy against the wall, what I'll do is I'll pull hard against the wall, shoot an arrow. And, you know, it has to be a good arrow. You can shoot two or three. If you're shooting sure. a distance, I don't like to. But you shoot hard against the wall. Then you creep just a little bit and you shoot. And typically you'll shoot a little high with, with the, with when you creep forward. So what you do is you change the synchronization of the cam ever so slightly, like twisting one of the cables, half a twist. Is there a rule of thumb? Like the, do you want to increase the speed of the top or the bottom cam? Is there a rule of thumb? It depends. There's, I usually just, I'll usually do it one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my memory is not that good. I'll usually Mm -hmm. do it one way and see if it's worse or better. And then go the other way. And, Typically, um, with well, now with this system, with the new HBX system, very easy to do. I, mean, you, I could do it very quickly. Okay. And the Ventum just happened just to do it perfectly. So I can, you can take my Ventum and pull it hard against the wall and, and then relax it as far as you can till, the, till it's pulling it away from you in the front of the valley mm-hmm. to where you're actually probably holding you know, yeah. uh, an additional five or 10 pounds uh, as it's trying to pull you away and, and shoot and it will hit in the same spot. And that's a really big deal because what happens when you're hunting is what tends to happen is when you first pull back and you're excited, you're pulling hard against the wall. But if you're sitting there and and let's say that you're waiting for that animal, a, a white-tailed deer, to right. take one step forward and you're waiting there for 30 seconds, you tend to creep. I mean, you watch anybody tell them to, to pull back their bow and, and, and just look at, 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 at their arrow and watch them. If they say, okay, I want you, before you shoot this shot, I want you to hold for 30 seconds and shoot. Well, what typically happens is they'll creep. They'll creep yeah. quite a bit. And it sometimes they'll, they'll creep to the point where you can see it kind of try to take it away from them and they yep. pull it back yep. again. Yep. And, and that, you know, say you're shooting at 60 yards, it can be a significant miss if your bow is not creep tuned, like several inches, if you just synchronize the bow. If you just synchronize, and even if your bow isn't creep tuned properly, it's still going to shoot a perfect hole through paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So shooting it through paper or watching the arrow flight is not going to tell you if you're creep tuned or not. Okay, that's really valuable. I will be doing that. No you question. Should. Do you do it by hand, Randy, or do you ever use a, a hooter shooter for that? You can't use a hooter shooter for it. Well, 
I would never use a hooter. You do it by hand. Okay. Well, because a hooter shooter isn't going, the hooter shooter, you know, people tune their bow with a hooter shooter. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. And I'm going to have arguments on this. No, I agree. It does not, it does not hold your bow the same way you do. Right. And, and so you have, in my opinion, you have to do it by hand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even tuning your arrows in, in or grouping your arrows with hooter shooter is, is diff, in my opinion, not the best way to do it. It'll get you close. But the problem is, is, is it's not holding the bow the same. People will tune their bow out of a hooter shooter. And then everybody holds their bow a different way. Like, you could take, I have a friend staying with me right now, Dave Holt, all the old timers who know who he is. Uh, he was, <laughs> he's been around forever. He wrote a book, a couple of books on, on shooting. Anyway, yeah. I can take his bow right now and shoot it through paper and I will get a rip. And he can take my bow, shoot it through paper and he will get a rip. Now, theoretically, since we've been shooting bows forever, we should be able to, to shoot each other's bow and hit in the same spot or not get a rip. Now, when I was shooting competition, I could take the very best shooters in the world. I could take their bow. They could take my bow and we could hit in the exact same spot. But you take somebody, just the average bow hunter that maybe hasn't, you know, had a lot of archery lessons or hasn't had a a lot of good form training and their bow will not the same for them as it would for me. And that's why when an archery shop, and I don't want to disparage archery shops, but because most of them know better now, but if an archery shop guy says, okay, I'm, I've tuned your bow and hands it to you, mm-hmm. then no, he's, he's mm-hmm. probably a really good shooter with really good form. You may not be, your bow has to be tuned to you. So, this is a very long answer to your question, but no, you, you can't do it through a hooter shooter. Yeah. You it, have to do it yourself. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, and I, I've always believed that on, on paper tuning for sure. Uh, it, it, I w- just wondered about this other thing because the creeping, it does seem like it'll be a little awkward to intentionally creep. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if maybe the hooter shooter would be helpful with that, but that makes sense. It, it, Just do know, it by hand. And, and to be honest with you, Alan, I've never done it with a hooter shooter. Yeah. It very well may work, and and you need to talk to somebody that's actually done it. But it's not as hard to do because if your bow isn't very well creep tuned, you'll find out right away. It doesn't yeah. have to be. You don't have to hold it in the exact same place. All you have to do is pull it way back one time and as far forward as you can the next time. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be exact. Well, I will report back on that, Randy. Tell you what I find. I should take my last year's bow and see see how it is. Not that I ever shot at anything, so it doesn't well, really you know, matter. Well, with, the, with, the, <laughs> with last year's Ventum, uh, you're probably pretty good. Yeah. When you take an older bow. Take one of your older hunting bows um, with the uh, cam and a half system, mm-hmm. and uh, it may not be as good. Interesting. I really liked the HBX this year. I, I thought that it was the lowest hand shock Hoyt I've ever shot in my life. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I, another little thing I noticed, this is really odd, but 
my RX-4, I took on a bison hunt. And I, I'm a mechanical broadhead shooter, but on my bison hunt, I decided to shoot a fixed blade. And so when I, I started shooting these fixed blades, they would fly great to about 55, 60 yards, and then they would start to get squirrely. And it, it really bothered me. I hate that. It's why I, I tend to lean toward mechanicals because, you know, when you're yeah, shooting... Can I stop you one? Can I yeah. stop you for a second? Sure. What fletchings were you using on that on that fixed blade? Did you use the same fletchings that you used on your mechanicals? I or did, did you, yeah. I, and they're, they're very good. small. It's an, it's an inch and three-quarter, four fletch. Okay. Um, and so they're, they're pretty small. And I know I probably should have refletched a little bit bigger fletching. But, it, you know, it, it worked. I ended up getting within 45 yards of the bison and smoked them. But fast forward to 2021, I'm shooting the Ventum with the HBX system. And I took out the, and it's the same weight bow, same draw length, just new bow, new cam. I took out the exact same arrows and the exact same fixed blade. And I was driving tacks at 100 yards, getting ready for my brown bear hunt. Another hunt, I decided to use a fixed blade. And uh, literally grouping with my field points as tight as my field points at 100 yards. I was blown away. I've never experienced that in my life, bow hunting, to have fixed blades fly so well. And the only thing I can think of is the difference in cam. And I asked Zach at Hoyt about it, the president. Uh, he's a great engineer. And he thinks that it's due to spine. He says that... I was probably a little bit underspined for the cam and half, and the HBX system isn't as sensitive to, to a little bit less spine. And so the arrows were stiff enough and therefore flying much better. That could be it. Also, it could be yeah. knock travel. That could be another thing. Um, Let me, can I interject something there? Absolutely. Okay. One thing that I've discovered in the last 40 years is that you can't, and people argue, but you can't hardly overspine you're shooting a broadhead. Right. I have found that that if I go really, really, really stiff, I just get better grouping. Uh, so I think Zach. Well, Zach's a lot smarter than you or I. <laughs> I think he. Uh, I think he's probably onto something there. Yeah. It because, is interesting to know that the HBXs will take a little bit, you know, lighter spine. It, that, that's interesting to know if that is the, the, it sounds like that is the case. Well, and that, that goes right along with what I just said about creep tuning because creep tuning has a whole lot to do with knock travel. And, mm. and I think it's a little bit easier to get a perfect knock travel, uh, with, with, uh, by adjusting with, with the new HVX system. Yeah. It's definitely a winner. I, I'm very, very, I mean, you know, shooting cam and a half for 20 years, it was, I was a little bit like, wow, how am I even going to tune this thing? Because it's a different process. But I am very pleased with the new system. Well, I, I when I first first started shooting competition, you know, we were using just the regular, um, you know, two cam system. Yeah. And so I was very familiar with that because that was back when we shot fast flight, and and every three arrows you had to twist something else because it's it's <laughs> yeah. it stretched all the time. Right. And so you became very, very good at retuning your bow on the fly. Yeah. Interesting, Randy, that both you and I shot RX-5s and Ventums, and we both ended up with the Ventum. That's just interesting. Well, you know, it just, you know, I, I, I try to pride myself on being, um, uh, uh, being scientific. And so I gave them the both, both 
the 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 same um you know i'll shoot one shoot the other shoot one shoot the other and i always go unless i'm on like an ultra crazy long 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 hunt um then i'll always take the carbon bow uh just because mm-hmm. it you know decreased the weight a little bit but i really didn't have anything crazy going on um and i you know your whole hunt comes down to that one shot so carrying a little extra weight for me is not as big a deal if I'm confident. And sometimes, sometimes actually with the venom, sometimes with bows, like when I shot, when I was shooting competition, my bows always weighed a lot uh, because there's, you know, there's the whole stability. Right. And, and the, the, it's, it's much more difficult to get a heavy object moving in one direction or the other than a light object. So, uh, I always take the bow, almost always take the bow that shoots the very best. And I yeah. think it's going to be more forgiving. And in this particular case, the Ventum just shot a little bit better. Now, you know, I'm comparing one RX-5 to, to one Ventum, you yeah. know, so so it could have just been, like I say, every bow has a personality, but that, that Ventum just shot really, really, really well for me. Yeah, I found the same thing. I, 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 although one thing I will say, one of the things that weighed heavily on my decision is I'm 28 and a half inch draw. And typically the, you know, you want to be toward the top end of the cam. So like on a 26 to 28 inch cam, if you're at 28, it's going to be the most efficient on a 28 to 30 inch cam at 30 inches, you're going to be most efficient. And so the typical break is at 28 and 30 and at 28 and a half, it puts me in the bottom of the 30 inch cam. Right. And the nice thing about the Ventum is they actually built that cam for guys like me. It has a top of 29. So I'm only one slot off the top. It's extremely efficient. I'd rather have that than be in the bottom of that 30-inch cam on the RX-5. Right. And so that, that was another thing that weighed in for me. And I, the, the speeds I was getting out of that bow, just by being in that position compared to my bow the year before, I was getting you know, like 15 feet per second faster, which was obviously welcome as well. You know, that's interesting. 15 feet per second faster, and it's less sensitive to spine. That's, that's a nice combo, and you wouldn't think. I, yeah, I was just going to comment on that because that's not normally how things happen. No. But you, you obviously had really good knock travel on your Ventum for yeah. that to be the case. It must yeah, be. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't even, I didn't even, speed, speed is not, well, of course, I have a 30-inch draw length, Speed's not nearly as important to me as forgiveness and accuracy um, because I don't really ever shoot, ever shoot at anything, you know, unless it's 30 yards and less without range finding it. So speeds. And also one thing I found is that, um, that, that the slower arrow I shoot, when I say slower arrow, I mean the heavier arrow I shoot, uh, the quieter my bow is. And I've had, Mm -hmm. We've talked about this before, but my biggest, the reason I miss more big mule deer than any other reason is because they jumped the string. Big yep. mule deer are very wired. Older, I should say older mule right. deer yep. uh, that have been around a while, very wild, wi- wired. So I don't really worry too much about speed. I don't shoot very fast at all. I probably shoot 260, 265, 270, just yep. for that reason. Okay, so so let me ask you this. I also found that I I end up grouping a little bit better at slower speeds. 
Let me ask you this then. I, I have a, a confession to make, and I've actually been open about this. I just haven't told you this. But I missed six shots this year at a giant antelope. And this antelope was on pins and needles, man. When I would shoot, he would not be in the same footprints by the time my arrow got there. Um, jump my string. Okay, five out of the six times he jumped my string. Uh, I think I missed once. But um, it, it was very, very frustrating. I hunted on very quiet days. For whatever reason, there was just no wind noise whatsoever. And, and when, when that bow would go off, that the dude just freaked out. Um, I mean, I even shot at him feeding once, and literally the arrow hit. He was gone, you know? Do you think a heavier – what would you do, first of all? How would you solve that problem? Because I'm going to hopefully well, be hunting him again this year. Here's – okay, I have, I have had these issues for years and years and years, and I have, I have done everything that I know of to do except for one thing. And I hate to even broach this subject uh, because I, at 60 yards, I feel that if, if the deer doesn't jump the string, if I'm on flat ground, if there's no wind blowing, I just feel that I'm very, very, very confident that I'm going to kill the deer. Yep. Um, so, and people watch me shoot at a hundred yards cause I always practice at a hundred yards and they so well, and I tell people, I don't ever shoot at anything over 60 yards. Now, obviously if I've wounded something that's different, you know, yeah. I do shoot at things longer if I've already wounded them. Uh, but you know, I've been, I, I scout all year looking for a deer or an elk. And the last thing I want to do is wound that animal <clears throat> For the reasons, for many, many reasons, but, you know, the main main one for humane reasons, but also I've invested a whole summer in that one animal. So when I shoot him, I want to kill him. But so I have animals jump the string and, and I've had this discussion with several really good bow hunters and many, there's, there's a whole contingency of coos deer, whitetail hunters down in this part of the state of Arizona mm -hmm. and from here south. <clears throat> That's about the jumpiest critter on the planet. Yes. Well, and here's what they say. See, this isn't me saying this. Now, this is mm -hmm. this is them. They say they will not shoot at a coos deer at under 70 yards because uh, he's not going to be there when the arrow gets there. Right. As you know, the the volume of sound, the decibels of sound decrease exponentially with the distance right. with the square of the distance right. so uh you you so the that is saying that, okay at 20 yards there's way more there's four times as much sound at 20 yards as there is at 40 yards you'd think it'd be half as right. what it is at 40 yards so when you get further and further out the sound is not nearly as loud or as impactful to the animal mm -hmm. so they're less likely to jump the string so I've been having long conversations with myself and other people <laughs> about making my shots. It just kills me to think about this, but I end up wounding more deer like that big deer that I wounded two years ago that we talked about earlier. Yeah. I shot at that deer at exactly 58 yards and he was not there when my arrow hit. Yeah. And it was a good shot. At least yeah. felt like a good shot. It felt like it. Yeah. And, and, and he was moving when my arrow got there and, and uh, 
people tell me that when they shoot it at mule deer at 80 yards, uh, because again, the, the sound is, is so slight at 80 yards and also you're further away and an animal's much more likely to respond to something very close, a sound, a loud sound very close. Yep. I mean, it's the same as someone snuck up behind you and clapped their hands, you know, say five feet behind your head, as opposed to them clapping 20 feet behind your head, you know, you're going to jump. But do you feel like the heavy arrow and a quiet bow makes a difference as well? Because I'm shooting a 410 grain arrow. It's probably fairly loud. It's going, if you saw, if you saw my bow and all the things I've got attached to it to make it quiet, plus I'm shooting a 510 grain arrow. um, I mean, even my release is where my release mechanism comes back and slaps again metal. I've even got it that quieted. What about the arrow, Randy? I I feel like the particular mechanical broadhead I was shooting has four blades with the blunt edges facing forward. And it it actually, at at 100 yards between field point and broadhead, it hit six inches low. That's how much drag it's getting from those four blades. And I have a feeling they're making a hissing. I know they're making a hissing sound as they fly. Do you think that also is something the animals hear, the hissing of the arrow? I do, but, you know, I think... The fact that you use small fletching helps a lot. A yep. big flappy fletch, like I use low profile fletching and yep. I haven't done it in a long time, but we used to uh, shoot, we used to have someone get behind a bale uh, like at 50 yards and then and then shoot at the bale at 60 yards. And so the arrow would go right over the top of their head and you just, and then, you know, they didn't know what arrow you were, you were shooting, but then we'd write down well, which one's the noise is from from zero to 10. Yeah. And, uh, and what I've found is that smaller, lower profile fletchings are much quieter. And as far as the broadhead goes, two things, the more turbulence your broadhead causes, the noisier it will be and the more inaccurate it will be. Yeah. It's yeah. all how much turbulence that broadhead creates as it's going through the air. Now I shoot the sever. It's got pro. I would have to say it's got by far the least turbulence of it. And it's the most accurate broadhead I've ever shot too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very quiet. And because it creates so little turbulence, it doesn't need a lot of fletching. Right. So the more accurate the broadhead, the less fletching it requires and the right. quieter the whole arrow is. And also a thinner arrow is going to be quieter than a, than a fatter arrow. And that's why I shoot, you know, four millimeter arrow. So you go with a one six, six, I'm shooting a two Oh four, but it's yeah. still pretty, and, pretty narrow. It, yeah. And that's not a big deal, but you know, I always try to go to extremes cause you're just, you're why trying not? to stack tolerances. And so a tiny yeah. arrow, a tiny arrow with a smaller diameter requires less fletching to spin it. Yeah. It's like a ballerina with her hands right. out versus in. So right. a tiny arrow requires a lot less energy to spin it. So it requires a lot less fletching. Mm-hmm. So all those things, a tiny broadhead, low profile broadhead, tiny shaft and tiny fletchings equals quiet. And not only is it quiet, it bucks the wind a lot better. Sure. Across and, wind. Yeah. And I also, I, I, I really weight the front end of my arrow because I want it to be heavy because the heavier the arrow is, the quieter your bow is going to be. Right. Because not so much of the energy dis- is dispersed 
uh, into space. Yeah. It's put into the arrow. With my short draw, I've been able to get that 410, 17% FOC, which is pretty incredible. The very yeah. ultra light shaft with, and that's another that gets into that spine question. You know, I've, I've pushed that weight down and had to use a little bit less spine. I mean, it's still pretty stiff. I'm shooting at 340, but well, anyway, this is really oh, interesting. Yeah. It's, um, 20, I think it's just a little under 26 inches, but I'm shooting 163 grains up front okay. between the insert and the 125 grain broadhead. So okay. it does, it, it flies really well in the wind. I'm really happy with everything about it, except perhaps the noise. And so I'm going to look really hard at that this year, especially particularly for the antelope hunt. I may have a separate setup just for the antelope hunt with a really heavy arrow, a really quiet bow, just a little bit different setup that's, you know, perhaps a lot quieter. And hopefully I get some better success just because I had One thing such an experience I last I've, year. I've probably mentioned this before, but my brother and I have discovered this a long time ago and other people have obviously discovered it as well, that um, one of the things on deer and elk is if the animal has its head down when you shoot, it's much more likely to efficiently jump the string. Right, right. And, and uh, so we try, it's almost impossible, but with an antelope, uh, if you could possibly shoot at it while its head's up, hopefully yeah. not looking at you. Right, uh, right, yeah. Looking in a different direction they're less likely to efficiently jump the string. Yeah, so like if they're walking their head up, I've heard that's like the best scenario. Of course, they're walking, and so that's not good, but they're less likely to jump the string. Yeah. Well, an antelope walking at 60 yards is going to be out of the position yeah. by the time you're no, there I, anyway. I don't want to do that, but I think that's more of a... A, a white tail thing within inside of 30 yards. If they're slowly yes. walking with their head up, it might be a good time to shoot if you're, yeah. And, you and the same thing with elk. you know, usually with elk, you're really close, you know, within 20, 30 yards. I have no problem with shooting at a, a walking elk if they're within 20 to 30 yards. Right. Right. They got yeah. a really big kill zone too. Yeah. Well, Randy, fantastic. Very interesting stuff today. Um, I love talking to you as always. Um, let me ask you one last thing, just for the heck of it. What was your favorite moment of of hunting in 2021? Um, I would have to say, uh, my son and I. He's he's uh, been in college, so we haven't been doing nearly as much hunting. But he took a gap year this year. He's going to dental school next year, and. Uh, uh, I think the favorite, my favorite part of hunting was he and I hiked up to nasty, nasty, nasty mountains, spent th three days up there glassing for elk. Um, and it was just neat being up there with my son, you know, no distractions whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, when you, you did something like that with your son on uh, hunting Sitka, but when you killed yeah. that little record buck, yeah. it's just... You know, getting your son away from civilization, one-on-one, -on -one, and really, we weren't, once we were on top of the mountain, we did nothing but sit together in glass. So you got That's three great. solid days just to sit yeah. and talk without any interference, just one-on-one. -on -one. So I'd say that by far was my favorite aspect. And he went with me on my sheep hunt too. So we got a lot of... Uh, we got a lot of uh, 
you know, uh, windshield time just to, and you end up when you're with your son and my son's 22, when you're with your son that long, you start to talk about deeper things, which, yeah. which is neat, neat. Cause you know, everything's so superficial, especially when your kids are young, they're just right. like, and they've got so many things going on to, but to get them to all by themselves for a long period of time. is just cool. That's great, right? You can indoctrinate them with all your crazy ideas. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can start the brainwashing process to exactly. get, them th- get them thinking your way. No, I'm kidding, but that's really great, man. I, I appreciate that. You know, I mean, here you killed a a big old California bighorn and a giant elk, and and your favorite time was the three days you spent with your son glassing. That's pretty neat. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. My friend, well, thank you for having talking. me. I'm sure we'll we'll do it again. Okay. Thanks, Eddie.